0: I'm Mark Carroll and welcome to episode 86 of Carol Pop. Two quick points before we begin. 1. Be sure to get your tickets for our July 31st live Carol Pop event with two-time Oscar-nominated actor Michael Shannon at the Club Space in Evanston. Go to evanstonspace.com for more information. 2. We're very happy in Carol Pop Land to welcome a new sponsor, Revolution Brewing. Cheers. Our guest this week is Michael Timmons, lead guitarist and key songwriter with the band Cowboy Junkies. The Toronto-based Cowboy Junkies were doing alt-country before alt-country was a thing, releasing their first album, Whites Off Earth Now, in 1986, and scoring one of rock's unlikeliest breakthroughs with the Trinity Session in 1988. The band's new album, Such Ferocious Beauty, is out June 2nd, the day after this podcast drops. In the 37 years between the debut and now, Cowboy Junkies have maintained the same vision and lineup, a brooding, serious-minded brand of rock anchored by Michael Timmins' quietly roaring leads and his sister Margo Timmins' hushed, smoky vocals. The band features a third Timmons sibling, Peter Timmons, on drums, as well as longtime friend Alan Anton on bass, with multi-instrumentalist Jeff Bird almost always there as well. I saw Cowboy Junkies wrap up their latest tour leg in mid-May at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago, and the musicians were in their familiar positions. Michael Timmons sitting stage right with his guitar, Bird seated behind him with his array of instruments, Peter Timmons and Anton stage left holding down the rhythm section, and Margot Timmons at the center of it all with her haunting ethereal vocals. She'd joke about how unhappy the songs were, then they'd play a new one such as What I Lost about losing their father to dementia. They also mixed in their Sheriff covers, including David Bowie's Five Years, Neil Young's Don't Let It Bring You Down, and the Velvet Underground's Sweet Jane, which Cowboy Junkies turned into a hit 35 years ago. Sweet, sweet How did the Trinity Session, recorded around one microphone in a church at a time of big 80s productions, not only earn them a major label deal, but also catapult their career? How did that breakout success affect them? What was Lou Reed's reaction to their resurrection of the bridge in their version of Sweet Jane? Has anything changed in how Michael Timmins writes, collaborates with his sister, and presents songs to the band? How has Getting Older informed his songwriting? How do Cowboy Junkies choose songs to cover? What's happening on stage when they lock into a hypnotic groove, as they did at the Old Town School on an epic version of working on a building? A couple days after the show, Michael Timmons spoke with me from his Toronto home about Cowboy Junkies then and now. How have Cowboy Junkies managed to keep doing what they're doing with the same people, regardless of what's happening in the outside music world? Michael Timmons is as smart and thoughtful as you'd expect from his music. Please enjoy this Curo Pop conversation with Michael Timmons.
1: People.
0: It was cool that I got to see the last show of that tour. How many, um, how many shows did you do on this tour?
1: Oh, it was just a leg of a tour. Like we don't, we don't go out for long periods now. So that was, I think we did eight eight shows. So we, you know, we'll go out for like um, 10 days at a time, you know, and uh, do, do like six to eight shows and then go home for a month or so. Like we go back out again in July. So, I mean, you know, in the, in the in the early days, the old days, we do a full-on, like, six-week, eight-week tour and then go home for a week and go out for another eight weeks. So now we just tour all the time. So it's usually little, little spurts and it's usually regional.
0: Would you be swinging back through Chicago as kind of a, a hub for you guys anyway? Or did it just sort of work out that way that you were...
1: Generally, we try and keep it, like, regional. So we we have, like, we'll do, um, you know, we'll do a whole bunch of shows around New York or a whole bunch of shows around D.C. or whatever or, or around the Chicago area. This one was a bit kind of a bit more stretched out. We we started out in the D.C. area and then ended up in Chicago. So we sort of went across to Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and I think we had Three Oaks as well. And, you know, so we sort of... It, 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 it always depends. It always we, we just try and keep the drives as minimal as possible and, and try and keep the shows, uh, you know, just to, just a tight bunch of shows and then go home.
0: Does each region feel different when you're doing these these legs of tours?
1: Well, not really. I mean... I mean, maybe a little bit on the West Coast, you know, uh, we don't get there out there as much, but I wouldn't say it's that different. Um, you know, we, we generally are in, are in urban areas, you know, uh, bigger cities, more, more populated areas. We're not we're not going like to the deep Midwest or, or further South. Um, so it's kind of the same kind of vibe these days. You know, it's, it's pretty much the same.
0: Yeah. I think of Chicago and Toronto is being pretty simpatico. So
1: yeah, they definitely are for sure. For sure.
0: When you get back from a leg of a tour, do you do you need to sort of decompress for a while, or is it just kind of like I'm just home, it's fine?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I probably should decompress, but I don't have the time to do that. So, um, uh, you know, again, it's the short tour. so it, that's 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 one of the reasons we're doing them short these days is that so that we don't you know go out for three or four weeks and have to you know recuperate for two weeks. This way, we can go out maybe recuperate for a day. And get back to our lives or get back to our lives right away you know it's just it's it's sort of part of our routine and it has been for a long time it's we don't even necessarily tour on an album we just tour we're always touring like that's we're always on the road to a certain degree we we always want to keep our, our live chops up you know so we by playing fairly regularly we sort of can keep a larger repertoire going and and it's not it's there's not that big uh, ramp up to get back on the road
0: right i mean you do have a new album such ferocious beauty but it's not out yet and you've done all these dates and you've played some new songs. And so you get people excited about the album, but you can't like get them to buy it at the merch table yet. And when you go out in July, then they can do that then.
1: Yeah. It's a bit weird. Uh, and again, you know, that as I say, we don't really time our tours around our albums anymore. That used to be, you know, that, that was a big thing. You'd have, you know, you have a set release date and then, you know, you do all posters, a promo, you go out on a promo tour. And then a month later you'd start a, you know, the tour in North America and then you know, a few months later in Europe and you'd just, you'd really be focused on the, on the album. I mean, albums, you know, are big, big for us as far as our arti- statements are concerned, artistic, artistic statements, but commercially they're kind of irrelevant these days in a way. So, um, we focus more on just, and it also takes a long time to get now out, out these in the last few years because of, because vinyl, there's this huge backup in vinyl manufacturing. Right. You can't really plan around them. So, we just sort of like you know when we time to put a record out, we want to put a record out, we put it out, and whenever the dates fall, they fall, you know. Because again, you have to book well, well in advance these days. These shows, you know, a good six, eight months out. So it's really hard to plan that way anymore. It's just, it's just too, it's too uh, the logistics are too weird. So and it doesn't really matter that much to us. People aren't coming necessarily to see us because there's a new record out. They're coming to see us because of our repertoire and our history, and so you know, it's, it's, it's they, they don't the two don't go. Uh, not they're not as, they're not as closely entwined
0: yeah I mean, you sold out three shows in Chicago, so that that it was certainly wasn't a factor there. And I always, as as a concert goer, I always think it's cool when I see a band and uh, like, here's some songs that are not released yet from our upcoming album. So like a week before I saw you guys, I saw Richard Thompson and you played like four songs from an album that's not released. And I'm like, that's right. And these are you got your your acts that have been around for like a long time. And yet there's still this sense of, oh, I'm excited to hear the new music, as opposed to, you know, there's some people that you would call your legacy acts where they're like, okay, it's time to go to the bathroom because we're going to play our new records. Yeah. And that and that's sort of like the it's almost like the sort of given like anticipation of it. But then the ones where where it's just like there's sort of a consistent level of, of quality and work. And like, yeah, I want to hear what they have to say now about what's going on and what they're, where they're developing musically and everything else.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's important to us. You know, we, we, we recognize that there's a lot of people there who are there for a specific period of our career. We've, we've been together now for 35 years. So there's different points along the way that people have come into the band. And usually, usually those albums are the ones that are most important to them. So we do, we do, we're aware of our catalog and we try and play our catalog, you know, focus a lot on it in a live show, but for us, there's also, it's important to play new material. It keeps us fresh, keeps us thinking and having to think and, um, you know, going forward. So whenever we're, whenever we're on tour, we're, we're, we're definitely working on new material and we're always trying to work in a few new songs. And, um, and again, there's people like you who like hearing new stuff. And there's some people who, who, who do take it as a bathroom break, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's important to us. So, you know, we have to do it. We have to, we have, we have all of to be introducing new material.
0: Yeah, no, I. There was definitely not a back bathroom break moment for uh, for these uh, shows here, and 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 you know those new songs, a were fantastic. Yeah, but Margo was kind of like, you know, sorry, we're going to play these new songs, and we're like, no, you don't have to apologize to this audience. Yeah. We're psyched to hear it. So um, that's
1: her. That's her. That's her. You know, that's her approach to the audience. Sort of like, a uh, uh, sort of a bit of. Uh, humble graciousness, I guess you could call
0: it. The Midwestern thing is kind of the same, but this is sort of the self-effacing Canadian slash Miss Midwestern. Yeah, exactly. You know, humility, which is which is genuine. Like, yeah, you know, thanks for thanks yeah. for suffering along with us while we play <laughs> these awesome, you know, cover songs like Five Years and some new <laughs> songs that are that are really good that you're going to want to hear on the the album. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's her, that's her. Her. And, you know, she, she does it with humor. And that's her, that's her, that's her approach. So it's kind of, it's really good cause it kind of, it kind of, she likes to set up the evening, right? So we usually focus that stuff on the first set and then we do a second set, which is usually uh, it's all, it's all catalog. I mean, there's a few deep cuts in that that catalogs usually, but um, it just sort of sets it up well for the audience. So they kind of, they know what's to be ex- to expected. It, it seems to really work. And then I think they tend to listen a bit closer, even those who aren't there for new stuff. They realize, okay, well, this is this is what this set's about. I'm going to focus on it, and I, I think it works.
0: Are you the one who puts together the set list for each show? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Has your approach to that changed over the years, or is this pretty much like this is the way we work and this is what audiences? Yeah,
1: it has changed over the years. Um, I've sort of zeroed it in a bit. I, I, I've honed it a bit over the past few years. Um, so uh, yeah, it's really over a longer tour, especially. It's very hard to do. Like it's it's kind of this, with this weird little niggling irritation at the start of every evening where I kind of sit and think, okay, where are we going to play tonight? And I do like to change it up as much as I can to keep, again, to keep the band sort of paying attention. And, uh, and, you know, we do get lots of people come to very, you know, multiple, you know, a few shows. So I like to, even, even if it's just a handful of people in the audience who have seen us, you know, two or three times along the, along this tour, I want, I want to give them something, you know, something different. So I try and change it up. Um, there are a few songs that we kind of feel we should play every night and, uh, we do those and, uh, or, or not necessarily a few songs, but, uh, you know, definitely we want to focus like two or three songs on Trinity. We want to get those in there, some early material. And then, um, so, you know, the, the way I approach it is more like that. It's more sort of like this, these blocks of, okay, we, I got to get a couple here a couple from here, you know, like that. And, and then work in the new material as well.
0: Yeah. Like this is going to be sort of our opening sort of set and we're going to go from, you know, Neil Young into Sweet Jane and, um, and, and that I assume was sort of similar from show to show, but then maybe there, you know, some of the, I noticed that some of the new ones you were kind of rotating in and out some of the covers, yeah. I think you done powder because of course I looked on set list. I think you done Powderfinger in Cincinnati and, uh, you did yeah. the driving, driving wheel song here yeah. in Chicago. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Again, it's, it's, uh, usually the first set is pretty, pretty straightforward. Cause again, we're working on it it's new material. So there's, it's not, we, we try and keep that pretty. And the, the opening, the opening couple of songs are generally for a tour pretty much the same. It's a nice way to settle uh, for us to settle in. You know, if you know what we're going to do and we, we get a nice, nice couplet together. Like we've been opening with, uh, don't let it bring you down into sweet Jane. And it's, so it, it, it allows the band to settle in. I think it's great for the audience too. It sort of gives them a bit of uh, energy hearing sweet Jane right away. And, um, and then it can kind of move from there, but, uh, you know, it all depends. It all depends on the night and depends how we're, how we're playing and how we're feeling and whether we've, you know, you can sometimes you can run a song into the ground a little bit, so you kind of let, let it go for a little bit and come bring it back. You
0: know. No, you guys yeah. had a really cool segue from Don't Let It Bring You Down into Sweet Chain. And there was this, and you probably hear this from the from the stage, like every show just about. But when when it kind of went it when it sort of transitioned, like it was clear you weren't just wrapping up the one song, but then it started in with that familiar opening for Sweet Chain. There was kind of this, ooh, you know? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's our little, that's our little, uh, <laughs> we do that. We do that every night. So it's, it's something, it's kind of fun. And it's fun to hear that, that, that hear that sort of energy, sort of, Oh, wow, this this, this song, you know, it goes from this weird kind of open-ended, Freeform uh, freeform jam into Sweet Jane. And it's kind of, it's kind
0: of fun. To do. I think it was toward the end of the, the second set you did working on a building and it was this just hypnotic version of it just sort of went, you know, it just kind of just kept sort of digging f- deeper and deeper into this groove. And I was totally mesmerized by it. And I was also s- sort of thinking, you know, this is like something that only a band that's been together for like a really long time that sort of knows each other this well is able to pull off where you're just able to sort of ride that thing. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering for you sort of where you're going during that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, 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 I'm glad you heard that. Uh, um, there's a handful of songs in our, in our repertoire. And again, we usually will play one or two of them a night, usually usually one, because it's, you know, it's a good 10 to 15 minute workout for the audience. <laughs> we enjoy doing it, but sometimes and sometimes they don't, sometimes they don't work, you know, I mean, they don't work from our point of view. They they, they still might be interesting for the audience or, or not at all, depending on your taste in music. Um, but there are a few songs like working on a building where we keep them very wide open like they're very simple songs usually they're you know there's only a couple of changes in them and um those are completely open for interpretation and it really relies on the four of us and margot the five of us really to be listening to each other you know and there's certain we kind of know like okay the setup is here and and then there's this big wide open space and then you know we're going to call everybody back in by i'll play this certain lick that'll uh, alert everybody that we're coming back to another section but there's these huge gaps that are for me and for Jeff and I, who's a, the, uh, you know, our mandolin, our sort of multi-instrumentalist, uh, we, we sort of play off each other and then, and then Pete and Al can kind of change the rhythm a bit. So it, th- those are really fun, fun, um, moments in the show for us. Like they're very experimental and, and again, they keep us thinking, they keep us sort of, you know, just, just having to think and, and communicate, right? You know, I mean, there's some songs that are very set. They're just songs, and you play them. And again, you're always trying to communicate, but they're very structured. And these ones, like working on a building, you can kind of go wherever you want. It can be as 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 spacey or as aggressive or as nasty or as beautiful as you want to make it. And and you, and then you have to sort of react to how somebody's reacting to you, you know. And it's really it's really fun. Like that one the other night was that was a fun one. That was that was really cool. I I, I liked where it went.
0: So so you see, yeah. So when you're in the middle of that, you're kind of like, oh, this is this is going in a certain way different from other times we've done it. And like, do you know, even like when it's going to end or is it just.
1: Uh, no, it, again, it depends if it's, you know, you, you try and give it a certain, uh, you're trying to sculpt a certain, pattern, a certain shape with it. Right. So you're, you're trying to start it and bring it somewhere and then you're trying to bring it back. And, uh, to bring it back can be difficult. <laughs> so sometimes you're trying to bring it back and somebody decides, okay, no, I'm not finished. I want to go somewhere else. So you go somewhere else, so you follow and you, so it's a, sort of this communication where you're, you're just trying to, you know, you know, tell each other, okay, we're, let, let's bring it down here or bring it up or whatever, or, or get out of there. Or Margo will hear it on and, and enter. And once you know, she enters, we know you have to sort of bring it in a certain direction. So it's all very open-ended and, and you're right. That's that's the that's the beauty of being in a band with the same players for over 30 years you know that, that sort of communication that that's 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 the fun part about playing live
0: for sure all right well i'm going to hit you with the obvious question which is that you have your your sister Margot, your brother peter on uh drums you got alan uh anton on bass right. jeff bird's been playing with you you know for forever. Just pretty forever as well how, how do you keep that group together? Like, how do you make it so, like, I mean, cause that's really unusual for a band to just have yeah. no personnel changes over that long.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you're, you're right that. that you know, we're going to ask that a lot. Um, but it, it really comes down to, especially the four of us, you know, the four of us are, the, are the, the band, me, me, Margo, Pete, and Al, um, we, we really have a way of playing together and we really have a sound that we create when we play together. And, we all really enjoy that sound. <laughs> we all, we all recognize, and mean, we, we love the feeling of that sound playing that music. And we all recognize that with, if you take one of us out of that equation, uh, uh, you know, it's going to change. It'll be, it, and we, cause we have done that. We, you know, we've gone on tour when Pete was sick and we had a different drummer and Alice missed a few shows and had to get a bass player. And it's very, very, very different sounding the band and it's, it's okay. It's good, but it's not, it's not the same. So, you know, we're just very aware of, of, of that and I'm very appreciative of it. And therefore, you know, if there's ever an issue or there's ever somebody has a problem or, you know, needs needs time off, you know, needs a break. Then we do that. We, we, we really try and accommodate each other's needs. And, you know, as you get older too, it, there's more and more, and you know, certainly not just now, but 10, 15 years ago, when we were all in the middle of having of, of kids and, and and kids at home that we need that needed us, you know, there's a lot of work put into making sure that everybody was, on the same page and everybody was okay with going out a certain time or a certain amount of time. And it's just like a lot of just, it's, it's just um, a lot of listening and a lot of understanding and, and, you know, just understanding that, you know, for this to survive, it has to work for everybody. So we've just been very aware of that.
0: Were there ever moments where it felt a little more fragile, like, Oh, you know, these things are going on with these tensions with it, whether it's within the band or the sort of, conflicts of life and work balance were there yeah. was there ever a point where you were kind of worried about it
1: yeah I mean there there was a point uh I guess maybe I mean there's been a few points all the way all, all along right but there was definitely a point about um uh, 10 years ago maybe I mean it's hard to it's hard, time is so weird these days right um where we we definitely definitely said okay let's just shut it down for a year like we we just didn't do anything. We, everybody went their own way and then, and revisited and it it's because of different conflicts and personal conflicts that people are having and, and having to deal with. And they weren't able to balance the you know, on the road and the stuff at home. So we just did that, you know? And again, that's, that's a part of That's what I'm saying. Like we, we we're, 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 we're aware that, that as, as important as the band and the music is to us, there are other things that are more important. And, um, so we, we just shut it down and then, a year later sort of slowly got back into it and it became even better than it was you know just be, be, those moments come up
0: for sure when when the trinity session was such a huge hit um and and you guys were getting so much attention and Margot's like on the cover of esquire and and you know and everything kind of got ramped up quickly after obviously you've been doing it for a while and then all of a sudden there was a lot was that a fun period was that a difficult period like how do you look back on that sort of chunk of time when you were like all of a sudden in the spotlight
1: yeah it was it was fun and difficult <laughs> you know i look back at i look back at it now and think God, i wish i would enjoyed it more you know because <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun you know i mean uh but it was just so uh, it was extremely extremely intense you know it was very non-stop every minute of the day like you know we were on tour we, we toured like non-stop for three or four years and, and almost literally non-stop just kept on going right and and around the world and that was great you know and because uh, that's what you want to do as a band you want to play live but you know, obviously there's a, there's a toll it takes. And, um, and, and, you know, the spotlight was great, but it wasn't something we, it wasn't something we craved, you know, when we started as a band and even then we didn't really crave this spotlight. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, we're all getting into to be rock stars. It was just, we were really into music and we, as I say, we created the sound together before anybody had heard it. And we really loved it. We loved playing, we loved playing music and it just sort of happened. And then this weird spotlight showing on us and, the, the, the spotlight wasn't fun, but the wedding products was fun. Like the bigger, the bigger venues and playing to more people. And, you know, appearing on TV was kind of interesting, you know, it wasn't necessarily fun, but it was interesting. <laughs> so there's a lot of interesting things that happened. And, um, so, you know, I look back at it now and it's, it's a lot of, it's a blur. Um, but it was fun. And we met a lot of interesting people, you know, and we got to do things that got to go places we would never been. And, and, you know, it, 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 it set us up for a great, for a great career
0: was, was there pressure on you to kind of modernize your sound after that? Or was there an understanding of, Hey, this, what you guys are doing is working. So you don't need to start sounding like an eighties band because you guys are the antidote to being an eighties band.
1: There's never, there, yeah. That, that, that'd that be too smart when it that'd be, that'd, that'd be uh, yeah, there was definitely pressure. Um, but different kinds of pressure that, you know, we, 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 we With the release, we released Trinity Session on our own, our own independent label. And then we got signed by RCA BMG and went into the major label world for 10 years. We did a few records with RCA and then a couple with Geffen and then got the hell out of it because it was like, okay, 10 years is enough. And the reason it was enough is because there's all those weird pressures, not necessarily to modernize our sound, but just to do whatever, just the the idea of having somebody outside of, of our circle trying to influence us and, you know, protecting that circle from these influences after after 10 years was just too much. It was, that we couldn't, we couldn't deal with that. It was, it was, it was stealing the pleasure of the music and making music. And, uh, and there was a lot of great people we were involved with and they were, you know, they brought great ideas to us and, and great opportunities, but there was also a lot of not great people. (laughs) So, um, it was just finding the balance and finding, you know, who you can trust and not trust. And it just became, that became more, more uh, work than making the music. Um, so we, you know, so around 1999, 2000, we sort of said, let's just, let's not, let's get out of the, the, the major label business and get back to just making music and get our own label back up and running. And we did that. So, so yeah, there were, there was all sorts of different pressures, you know, we weird, weird pressures, weird, didn't make any sense some that did make sense and but it, it just it, it, it took its toll for
0: sure well one of my good friends is jim powers here yeah. in chicago who
1: uh one of the good guys he's one
0: of the good guys yeah and who and who i always knew like i would sort of vicariously you know enjoy the fact i'm like this is jim powers you know my friend who he signed cowboy junkies <laughs> yes. and, and he's told this great story about you know how he had just started at you know bmg rca um and and it was like you know don't you know, you don't need to rush into it. You know, just start listening to stuff, and then, like, I think like two weeks into the job, you heard you guys sent him the Trinity session, and he was, was going into the head of the label, going, "We have to sign this band." It's like, whoa, Nelly, you know? But it's like, no, yeah. and uh, and he was right. So, yeah, yeah.
1: no, yeah, that's it. That, it's a great story. He, he, he told us last story even back then, and you know, of course, we we got a at that point too. We sent it to all the labels, and we had. Pretty much it was weird. Like we had pretty much every representative from every label come and see us. Right. I mean, there was this weird, um, it really connected with a lot of people, e- even in the industry. So, you know, we had people from electric coming and people from uh, Virgin coming and, uh, and Warner. So everybody was sort of showing up at our shows to check us out. And, uh, And Jim, I, you know, talked to Jim, Jim called me up. And so he shows up, And of course he says, he's like, I don't know. He was like, he was younger than us. So he was like, there's a a young kid. Like what the the hell is this? But we connect, we connected right away with them because he, he was just so passionate about the music, about music in general and about what we were doing. And, um, There was just something really genuine about him. I think because he just started in the industry, so we didn't, you know, a lot of these guys who showed up were these old A and R guys who've been doing this forever and you know liked it or somebody told them to like it and whatever. They got weird vibes off him. Jim was just fresh and enthusiastic, and and uh, he seemed really genuine. So we we ended up going with him.
0: (laughs) Well, that's great. I saw you played Alpine Valley, and uh, I guess it was September third, nineteen eighty nine, and. I think it was with Elvis Costello, Edie Brickell, and the New Bohemians, oh and um, and Violent Femmes. Although when I Google it originally, it was it was there were like posters for Elvis Costello and Lou Reed, so I guess right. Lou Reed maybe pulled out and Violent Femmes replaced yeah. him because it was yeah. Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I remember. I remember Lou Reed was supposed to be on that show. Yeah, I do remember that show. I think I think that was the first time. I think we met Elvis Costello. That was the first time we met him. That time, that was really fun. I don't remember the, uh, us playing, but I remember meeting him, which was great. That, that, those those days were great because we, we were meeting all these, you know, all our heroes. So it was really fun.
0: Did Lou Reed ever give you, uh, you know, response to your cover of Sweet Jane?
1: Yeah, hey, big time. He um he he actually gave us a, a quote, which is <laughs> which of course the, the record label ran with. Uh, it was something like um, I, I probably know of a verbatim because it's pretty straightforward and bland, but, um, the, the, the best version of sweet Jade I've ever heard or something like that. But the more, more importantly was we met him, um, uh, a little after, uh, Trinity came out. We were, and this is a great story because it was, it was, you know, the, the setting sounds so fake, but we were both in Paris during shows <laughs> and uh, our people and his people set up a meeting for us to come after each of our shows to meet at this restaurant and somewhere in Paris, I don't remember where. And so, you know, we, we show up to this restaurant and we hadn't met him at this point and uh, we're at our table and he's across the restaurant with his people at his table. And of course the whole night's passing by nobody's making a move to go anywhere. And none of our representatives as we had back then were, are, are, meeting up and mainly because we didn't have representatives and he didn't have representatives. It was just him and his band sitting at a table and us sitting at a table. So finally at the end of the night, pretty much near the end of the night, Margo gets up and, and, uh, decides, Hey, I'm this stupid. I got to go over there. So she marches over there and, um, you know, says hi, Margaret Timmons Kevin and blah, blah, blah. And she, Oh, there you are. You know, he didn't know what we looked like or who we were. So right. <laughs> he brought us, told us to all come over and we sat around and talked with him a bit. And then, um, which was great. And he gave us all his, his, his advice. Basically he said, fire your manager and get a, get a good lawyer. And that was basically his, his advice for the music biz. And then the, he, he was playing another night the next night in Paris and he invited us down to the show. And uh, so we were there watching the show and he wasn't a sweet Jane and there's a middle section of sweet Jane, um, the bridge, which is the heavily wine and roses part, right. which is not all, which is not on the velvet version, right?
0: Yeah. And you guys introduced me to that version. There's like, then later I've heard the velvet version that has that part, but I'd never heard that until I heard your version.
1: Yeah. So anyway, so he, he's playing the sweet Jane and he gets to that part and he, he sort of va- starts vamping on the song and he says, I just have to send this out to the cowboy junkies whose version allowed me to bring my bridge back into the song. <laughs> and he, he goes through that, that the bridge nice. and he told, uh, he told us afterwards that, uh, he always loved that bridge but they the band hated it so they cut it out and that's why they didn't use it on the record and he said ever since we had put it out with the bridge in it he started to play it live again that way so that was pretty that was pretty amazing <laughs> that's pretty, pretty fantastic
0: where did you learn the bridge from in the first place
1: uh there's a live uh, 19 to, i think it's called 1969
0: it's a live album oh that so, album yeah, yeah yeah i know that so, one
1: and so i think he, i think he had ju- i think he told us he'd basically just written the song and we're just kind of workshopping it on stage and, um, so we just, we just love that, that, that version. That's really where our version comes from is that, that, that version of
0: it. Cause it, I think it was before they recorded loaded, which the song was on. And then at some point there was like some other version of loaded that came out on CD and I put on sweet Jane. And then there was the, there was the bridge. I was like, Oh, it's on here. Okay. There is a version that has that.
1: <laughs> yeah. They must've they must've cut it off, I guess, or, you know, cause I think he had left by the time loaded was finally added and, and mixed. And so I think he'd left the band. And so right. I think, Yola Yule had taken over and I think John Cale had gone. So it was basically, they, they they did their own edits and versions and mixes of it.
0: Was your vision of the band always to mix, you know, your original songs with these well-chosen covers? No.
1: I mean, our first record, the one before uh, Trinity is um, a, 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 a album called White's Off Earth Now, and it's full of blues covers. So right. really the original, the original idea behind the band was to play what we were, play our music but to um, and because I, I wasn't at that point, I, I'd been in another band. I'd written songs and kind of fallen out of love of writing songs and didn't think there was a need to write songs, but I, I like playing music. And Alan and I had been in an improvisational instrumental band before Kebe junkies So we wanted to bring that sort of feel. and then but we wanted we had Margot, which was an obvious plus we, so we needed lyrics. So we thought, well, let's just grab some blues lyrics and you know, we'll do so-called covers of these songs. And so that was the idea, just sort of like this weird, new, new urban, a new urban blues version of kind of sort of with a touch of joy division and, and, uh, you know, the the UK 1980s, uh, uh, post post post-punk wave, put it all together and, and create this weird kind of new blues music. And that was the idea. And then, um, we sort of went on the road with that and we got into really got introduced to country music while, while we were in the States traveling around, especially through Georgia and, 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 and that area and made some good friends and got introduced to a lot of new music. And, and then that's how it began to in- influence the, the sort of more countryside of the band. And, uh, and then I got in- in- re- interested in writing songs again through to really, really, like, really great, you know, country writers, like the, you know, the Willie Nelson's and the Will and Jennings and the Hank Williams and those guys. So, that that's really how that the evolution came about.
0: Do you feel like you know, in a way, you were sort of in a forerunners of the so-called alt country movement?
1: I think so. I mean, I, you know, I, I I don't see us getting mentioned a lot in that movement, but I, we are definitely predated. Um, right. But you know, we're also taking our influences from the the pre pre <laughs> alt country. You know, like the, the Flying Burrito Brothers and and the bir- the birds of a certain era, and you know, they're they're, they're and and even the stones, you know, obviously, you know, with the Graham Parsons influence, some of that, some of those stone songs are very, are are basically sort of country tinged. And uh, so that, that's as music fans, that's where we were coming from in a way. Um, so, you know, it's all a big circle, right? I mean, nobody really starts anything. It's just kind of, it depends where you, where you hop on, on the cycle, but we were, we, we were definitely on the cycle before this new, the new wave of, of alt country for sure
0: right yeah and country and rhythm and blues are so intertwined to be yeah
1: it's it's all it's all sort of the same thing just done with a little different vibe yeah
0: so when you went back to writing songs were you were you writing with margot's voice in your head
1: in a way uh maybe ish uh you know there's some songs especially some of my earlier songs where i'm definitely i'm definitely they were actually written from you know, what you would call the point of view of a a woman's point of view, like with a woman singing the song, like the, the, you know, song of the cheapest, how I feel. And sun comes up, it's Tuesday morning. And where are you tonight? Like those songs are definitely, you know, I I was envisioning a female singing them and obviously Margot's sitting there. So I, I, but I wasn't necessarily saying her voice It was more, it was more the persona, you know, the person singing them. Um, and then I sort of, and then I, but, uh, but I don't think I, I don't think I do that anymore. I'd, I, I think, I think generally I don't do that anymore. Um, it's up to her to find her own way into the song and figure out how to approach it. And, and then, you know, if, if she's having a tough time with the song, you know, we'll sit and talk about it, but she's pretty good at that. She's pretty good at finding her own, her own way into a song.
0: Do you ever write a song and, and then think, Oh, this is a cool song, but it's not a cowboy junkie song.
1: Yeah, but I don't. It doesn't keep me from bringing it to the band. There's some songs where I where I've thought, well, oh, I, um, I, you know, I don't think we'll be able to do a good job of this, or I don't think Mark will be able to get a whole, you know, figure out how to sing this. And um, those are usually ones that turn out great. You know, those are the ones that surprise me because I I don't have expectations for them, and I'm not trying to push them in a certain direction. And uh, so the band sort of takes them off somewhere else, and and then it becomes fresh to me. You know, because it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. I didn't expect this. So that, those can often be really good, fun songs.
0: But you never like, hey, I was just messing around with the synthesizer, and this sounds like the another <laughs> another Mickey. Like it's like Mickey, Mickey, you're so fine, but it's us doing it.
1: I don't think so, i have ever gone that far.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you do you write on the guitar? Like do you have a guitar in hand when you're writing?
1: Yeah, I, I usually. Um, I mean, the, you know, lyrics and chords basically come together, um, and it, it can be what 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 comes first. It depends. Like I'll, sometimes I'll have an idea for a song, and then I'll I'll you know start working on just that. Uh, uh, a musical idea and uh, then blend the two together and then they begin to sort of bounce off each other or all of I'll just have this cool little lick that I like and trying to think, okay, what, you know, what goes like as far as the, you know, rhythm, rhythmically goes with this. And then I'll begin to write around to that, write to that rhythm. And uh, so it, it really, it really depends, but I'm, I usually, um, I, I never, I never just sit with the pen and paper and write lyrics. I, I'm, I'm always with a guitar if I'm writing
0: yeah, or, or or whether you finish like all the music and then like okay, now I got to sit down and fit all the lyrics.
1: I don't think I've ever done that. I don't, I don't think I've ever done that. So, so you'll uh,
0: you'll come up with the lyrics while you're sort of working yeah. out the song musically.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I say they kind of they kind of feed each other, right? Like I might have a an idea for a verse or a chorus or whatever, and then you know um, a musical idea which will then will will, will inspire a, a bit of some lyric and some melody, and then you know i'll go uh, that'll continue i'll continue to write the verse and then bring them bring the music into that so it kind of they kind of bounce back and forth it's very rare where all where they'll go they'll go you know together it's it, it, like i'm not I'm, the, the the music might be finished before the whole lyric is or the lyric might be finished for the, the whole song is but the whole music is but i i not not one before the other completely
0: and do you write pretty similarly to how you did at the start of your career yeah pretty
1: much i mean i you know i i am um, I don't write as like in the beginning of my career, just because I think it was because of youth and lack of responsibility. I wrote all the time. So like I I did it now, now it's, I do more writing periods, you know, where I'll, I'll set, I'll set time aside and I usually get out of my house and get away and, you know, rent someplace somewhere in the country or go wherever and and just, just isolate myself and to think about writing and think about what I want to write about and, and start, you know, there might be some exercises I might do to try and, you know, get my head into the right space, but um, and that's kind of the same way I've done it in, in, for many years now. It's very, it's very, um, you know, I'll collect ideas as, as the year progresses, but to actually sit down and write, I need time and I need a lot of time. And, uh, you know, as everybody knows, that's harder to get big spaces of time, uh, free when you get, as you get older. So I have to, I have to force that onto myself. Right. I have to force
0: it. What, are, what are those exercises you do?
1: i um, like, I'll, I'll, I'll read, I'll read a lot of poetry. I'll bring tons of poetry books and just, just randomly read, read stuff. And just to get my head into the, the, the flow of, 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 words and, and get, get engaged with words again, and then the beauty of words. Um, and then with the, musically, I'll, I'll try different tunings, tunings I don't know, and just fool around with them and try and see if I come up with different changes that I like and not really knowing what they are and different melodies on the guitar. And, uh, that's sort of the two ways I do it just to get me out of my head, you know, just, 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 just try and get me into a different direction, thinking differently.
0: Do you have other like albums you'll put on, you know, to listen to like,
1: you know, I don't, I, I mean, I, when I'm writing, I don't generally listen to music, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, I think cause I'll, I'll get too influenced by it. <laughs> uh, um, it's mainly, it's mainly reading It's it's usually reading when I'm, when I'm writing, I'm reading a lot. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and then just playing my own guitar.
0: When you were growing up, was there, was there like one album or more than that, where that made you think, Oh, this is like, this is the thing I want to do. I want to do like something that's this album, you know, like as good as this album or as impactful as this album. You know,
1: I, I was a like huge music fan growing up and, and, and music, you know, music just took over my life. Like as, from a very young age, I, I have two older, I have an older brother and an older sister who aren't in the band and my older brother, especially, you know, he's three or four years older than me. And so he was perfect age for like late sixties, early seventies music. So he brought all that into the house. And, you know, at that point I was pretty young. I was like 10, 11, 12 years old. And, uh, but it really hit me hard. Like I really was just music suddenly became this thing and um and it's all i really cared about and, and uh, even though i wasn't i wasn't playing like i wasn't I, you know I, but but as a music fan it just it just really took over me so that that era of like you know early 70s 72 73 74 those records especially like you know ziggy stardust and transformer and that era of of music which is a great era uh those albums just really and you know talking book um you know th- those those albums just were so strong for me um so I, I think uh, I, I think even that back then, to myself, I, I told myself that's what I wanted to be, but I, I didn't. I, I you know I grew up in m- suburban Montreal. You know? I, I, you know, my dad sold airplanes, my mom was a nurse. Like we didn't become you know rock stars were David Boy and Lou Reed. You know they weren't they weren't guys from Montreal. So. Sure. I didn't think it was even possible. Um, so I never really pursued it. I never even pursued playing an instrument. I just pursued listening to music and absorbing it. And it wasn't really until the, um, like mid seventies, the late, the, the, the punk, the New York and UK punk scene of the late seventies, that's where it suddenly turned in and, and it became like, well, the whole idea of that was do it yourself. You know, anybody can do this. And, uh, so that's where I suddenly realized, Oh, wait a second. I, I, I want to do this too. So that's when I got into it. But, but up to that point, I was just a fan and, and totally absorbed and moved by music. But that era, that's 72, 73, 74, those records are huge.
0: Do you remember the first song you ever wrote?
1: No, I don't, <laughs>
0: I don't, I really don't. It's like a synth pop thing. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, because I was like, we were into, uh, you know, into, you know, the, the, the whole punk scene was pretty big for us. Like Toronto had a pretty good punk scene so again as fans we sort of got into it and then remember alan, alan who's the bass player and junkies you know we were we we've been friends since we were kids like we we shared a record collection growing up and um and then we got into this this whole scene together and uh you know i remember going go see i can't remember what it was i think it was a local punk band and then after the show you know just be blown away by the experience and the energy and you know afterwards just sitting around going you know we should do this like why don't we do this and so we you know we did we sort of scrambled around and got borrowed some instruments and found a place to play and started to hack away on the guitars figuring out what to do how you do this and just what grew from there never stopped
0: at what point did you decide that you were going to be on stage but sitting down because a lot of like a lot of your rock guys are just standing up and jumping around and stuff and you're just kind of like sort of the meister off to the side
1: you know, somebody asked me that the other day and I can't remember because in our first band that Alan and I had, uh, I was standing up and I don't know when I sat down. I don't know when I decided to sit down. There was a period, there was another band between, our first band was called Hunger Project and that was very punk orientated. And then we got sick of that scene and we, we, we formed this band called Germinal, which was an instrumental band and we all sat for that one. So I, I was sitting down. So I think when that band morphed into Cowboy Junkies, I was sitting and it was like, I just thought, why stand? Like, I'm, I'm more comfortable sitting. I can play better, and it's more, you know. I don't want to, I don't want to relate to the audience. <laughs> so, I want sort of to the, I wanna relate to the band and my mute you and know, my instrument. So, I'll just stay sitting. So, I you know, think that's, that's probably how it happened. Just sort of a natural evolution.
0: You know, you go see any classical concert, and they're all sitting. You know, you don't all have right. all the all the all the violinists standing up like fiddlers or something. But uh, yeah. Yeah. it's, but yeah, it does have a different different sort of vibe. Like, all right, this is not like jumping around music. This is sort of immersing, immersive music in a way.
1: Everybody sits, everybody sit and listen. Yeah. 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 And it's always, that's always been our approach anyway. So it never, it it was never out of place, you know, when what we were doing.
0: Like when you're sort of working out the songs in a rehearsal studio or recording studio, is that kind of the configuration you have that kind of sort of semicircle with, you know, you sitting over on the one end and
1: Pretty much, you know, and most bands too, when you get right down to when they're working on songs in the studio, they're all sitting, everybody's sitting, <laughs> you know, it's not until they got on stage where they stand up. So like, um, yeah, I mean, that's what you do. You just sit around in a circle or in a semicircle and you sort of work on ideas. Yeah, for sure.
0: So how do you present songs to the band? Do you, do you get everyone together at once and say, okay, here's a song and you play it on guitar and then people kind of start coming up with parts? Or do you sort of approach people like maybe you approach Margot first, like, hey, get get on this you know in terms of how to sing it or it like like what's the sort of order and and process there
1: uh, again it, it, it does change a bit um but uh from song to song and even from album to album depending on the type of album it is and you know how we want to approach it um generally i'll, 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 I'll be working with margot separately you know, and, 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 introducing the songs to her. Cause I have to find, you know, I have to find keys and stuff with her and making sure that she's, you know, that the melody transferring and just stuff like that. So we'll work together a bit. And then I'll, then I'll start working with, um, at the same time, I'm pretty much working with Pete and Al too. And we the three of us are working on basic vibe and the groove and, you know, Al and Peter working on their parts, what they want to do. And if it, if it, you know, sometimes it'll change in, the, in that, set, in that setting as well. And then the four of us will come together and start to work on it as a unit and get morph and change again after that and and then if we're adding instrumentation uh, people that without instruments that we're not playing we'll get those players in if if we're if we're creating something live or or for a live recording or, you know live off the floor recording we'll get them in and start working on those parts so it kind of it kind of grows like that but the start is really you know, me introducing to Margo and to Pete and else it's usually separately because Margo takes a bit of time to get into a song and to find her way into it. So it's good to be having her just doing her own thing by herself at, at first until she's more familiar with it. Then we can, the four of us can come together
0: when you're choosing like cover songs. Is it the same kind of process? Like, do you bring those in or do other people say, Hey, you would be really great to do, you know, five years or no expectations or something like that.
1: Yeah. Everybody, every those, that, that sort of thing, everybody sort of comes up with an idea. Um, you, and again, usually covers these days are, you know, there, we do them for a reason. Like we're, we've at, we're asked to, we're pro, you know, we're asked to uh, contribute a song to an album, like to, to a tribute record or something like that, or we're part of a live show that, you know, is playing. Like we did, the reason we're doing Don't Let It Bring You Down is that we did a, a show at Massey Hall, which was in celebration of um, an acoustic concert that Neil Young did back in 1972 or whatever. And uh, so they wanted to, all the bands who were playing to play a song off that record. So we chose Bring You Down and, and worked up our own version of it. So, you know, often these days it's more like that. It's more, you know, somebody wants us to do something. So we figure it out. But certainly if we're if we're working on like when we did uh, Vic Chestnut cover record and we, you know, everybody brought in different songs of his and we worked on this version. So yeah, it's pretty open. You
0: We'd like to offer a warm welcome to our new sponsor, Revolution Brewing. Revolution is the largest independently owned brewery in Illinois and is brewed only in Chicago using pure Lake Michigan water. Now that we're past Memorial Day, it's time for Lemonade, Revolution's Freedom Lemonade. It's not a shandy, it's a lemonade beer made with cane sugar, lemons, and lightly tart ale in place of water. It's relatively low in alcohol and refreshing on its own or in a cocktail. Check out Revolution's social media for recipes. Go to at Rev brew Chicago on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. In Chicago, get Revolution fresh from the tap at the brewery and tap room in Avondale or the original brew pub in Logan Square. Do you guys ever disagree on arrangement ideas, whether on one of your songs or the covers?
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. I and mean, that's a big part of it, you know. That, that's part of working out a song and, and you know, figuring out, okay, you know, what works, what doesn't, and just hammering it out. You know, it's like if somebody really cares about a an, an arrangement, then and and I don't care so much about it. Then you know, fun. Let's go with that one. You know, it, it's again a give and take, and you just sort of figure it out.
0: Yeah. And when you're recording, do you do you still make a point of recording everyone? You know, like the basic basic track live, as opposed to put down the drums, put down the bass.
1: We try to. Again, it depends on the song. It depends on you know, the type of record we're making, um, you know, I always feel there, 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 there usually needs to be like, I do a lot of work with other bands too. And, and my, my feeling is I, I, I also some element of, of it being live off the floor. It doesn't have to be the whole thing, preferably it can be. And that's usually that can be great. But even if it's just like, you know, the bass and drums that we, you know, you, you do the whole band, but you only keep the bass and drums and then you add to that or whatever. It, I, I I just think there's an energy, of people performing together that you don't get if you're just single tracking everything. Um, you know, as as we get older and more professional, you know, you can, you can bring that energy. You you understand more about the recording process and what things will sound like at at the end. So you, you know, when I'm playing a guitar part, I know that I should, you you know, I should push it in this direction. If I want it to sound this way, when we get to the final mix. So as you get, if you get more experience in the studio, you can do more single tracking and, and still have that energy. But I, I always feel like they can get a good take with, with a few people playing together. It's it just, it's, it's easier to hang other instruments on top of that. It's much, much, much easier.
0: Yeah. I feel like with pro tools and whatever other, you know, comparable electronic, yeah. you know, programs there are coupled with then the pandemic, it, like just people have gotten much more used to sort of emailing parts to each other. And we're like, Oh yeah, we recorded the, or the band recorded the album, but we were on three different continents at the time. Yeah.
1: And then we have done that, you know, we have, we have, we have done that sort of recording and it can't work. It can, it's kind of, can, it can be kind of interesting too. Um, cause you get back, you know, you send stuff to you get stuff back and go, Oh, this is interesting. You know, it's, it's gone in a completely different direction, which, which can be kind of cool. But, um, yeah. And, and pro tools again, you know, it, 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 I think the main thing is that it's, it, it is a tool, right? And you can use it, or or you can abuse it, and a, a lot of people abuse it, and um, you can usually hear that because it becomes very stale and cold the recordings. But it's also a great tool. You know, there's lots that you can do with it that, that's interesting, um, and that goes to you know that goes with all the new software and different different types of instruments. Ooh.
0: Obviously, it affected everyone, but like how how disruptive was the pandemic for you guys musically, pr- personally, professionally?
1: um musically it was for me it was kind of good in a way <laughs> it, was, it was a nice way you know we stopped and uh we weren't thinking about the next tour um which was a bit scary in a way but but once you sort of got over that it was like okay now we have i've have, from my point of view i have time now to do stuff so i did a lot of i did a lot of writing i did a lot of different sort of recording that i wouldn't have normally done because i had extra time we have a we have, have my own studio so i was able just to go in there by myself and work on ideas different guitar ideas You know, um, and then um, and then uh, then I began to write. You know, for for this record that's coming out now. So in some ways, it was it was good. It was it was a nice. It was it was a good forced pause. The the drag was it kept us off the road, which financially was tough. But but also was it was hard because it's definitely as I said we've never not toured. Like we're always sort of you know we always have a few shows coming up the next month. You know, so that was kind of weird not to play together for a while. So that was that was. um, That was the only bad part, but but uh, the other part was fine. Like I didn't mind the downtime.
0: Yeah, well, and Margot made reference to at at the concert too. You having lost both of your parents recently, so I'm sorry to hear that. Um, And and part of what you're writing about on such ferocious beauty um, is just you know aging parents and dealing with death and mortality and that sort of thing. Um, Are these are just these the topics that are just coming up for you now because that's what's going on in your life and that's what you know what you should be writing about
1: yeah i mean i've always written that way you know i i think if you if you you know i've told my kids if you ever want to find out if you ever give it down, what want to find out what your father's about just listen to his albums and sequence and you'll hear you know you'll hear pretty much a pretty a, a, a good narrative of of my inner life and, uh, my relationship, my relationship to their mom and to my wife and, and their in, in introduction to, to our life and they're growing up and their different problems. And then, um, uh, you know, he, uh, my, my songs have always been about what's currently, what, what current state I'm in, you know? And, um, so, the, the, the this record yeah has a lot to do with you know the, the 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 aging and the death of parents and and also the pandemics in there too you know the there's a there's a certain amount of you know i think the overarching word i'm using for this record is impermanence you know it's that it's about impermanence and uh and, and i think that the, the the covid really brought that home in a way um how things that we thought were so stable disappeared just like that overnight and um so so on a micro and a macro level, you know, I sort of began to write about that, over the over the course of COVID.
0: Margot was jo- joking from the stage, basically. Well, here's another unhappy song. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that reflective of your personality, like one unhappy song after another?
1: No, I, you know, she she does. Yeah, you know, that's, that's Margot's thing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh,
0: this, is, this is why this is what happens when you have uh, siblings in the band.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't think she's right. There's not a whole bunch of our songs that are, are, are about, uh, you know, <laughs> going out on Friday night and getting drunk, happy things like that. Um,
0: you walking uh, on sunshine cover is coming up.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Um, Actually, but, I would love to hear a cowboy junkies version of walking on sunshine. <laughs> that could be really interesting.
1: Yeah, I'll have to go for that. Um, but the, the the, you know, the songs are just about life, you know, so they're not, they're not, they're not sad or I, I don't, I don't find them depressing. I find them, yeah, there's some sad songs, There's some, I think there's some happy songs, there's a, of, there's a lot of songs about strengthening strong relationships, there's a song about kids, there's a song about, you know, overcoming things, so uh, I, I think our songs are, 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 rather than sad, they're serious, right, <laughs> so that's sort of, that's, that's, that's the word I would use to describe.
0: Right, well, it also seems like there, it's an aesthetic choice as well, and that there's a certain way you want your records to sound and to feel, yeah. and and the way you write these songs is kind of in keeping with that so like there's a consistency to that and that approach does that sound
1: right? yeah it sounds right and also you know my biggest part about this which, which getting back to marco's the songs are sad she can't sing a happy song <laughs> like, her voice does not lend itself to it she, she tells a great story about uh she she was asked to sing the canadian national anthem at the um baseball at the baseball all-star game in Pittsburgh quite a few years ago so she went down there and did a very straight version of the Canadian national anthem and was very happy about it blah 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 and then uh, was in the, I think she's in the bathroom or whatever and somebody came up to her and she said oh you you're the singer right you're the one who sang that song she said yeah 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 that's the saddest anthem I've ever heard." <laughs> You know, so it's like, what can you do? Like she, you know, it's just the way her voice works and it, 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 it brings, it brings people to a place. So
0: it carries uh, a lot of emotion and life experience it with it. It does. It does. Does your feeling when an album's about to come out, you know, because it is still an artistic statement, whatever else is happening in the, in yeah. the business, do you have that same kind of anticipation of, oh, I can't wait for people to hear this? Or has that become tempered a little bit just because of the way people listening habits have changed?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um. It's tempered a little bit. Uh, you know, the problem is is by the time you put a record out, you have been working on these songs for so long. Like, you know, this, this record that's coming out in June, I, we finished writing it. I finished my part writing it in June of two years ago. So, and then, you know, and then we recorded it and then we recorded it again and we mixed it and mixed it again. And then we got it to the manufacturer. So, you know, it's been a long time, a long process. So the songs in many ways have been, finished and, and are part of our past almost now, right? Now, now, so now, now the idea is to the excitement is to get them up on stage and play them live. So that, that is exciting. But as far as the record is concerned, I'm, I'm always interested in, 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 seeing how people, how people hear them, like how, you know, hear the production and hear the songs and what they get out of them. That, that is always kind of fascinating to me. So when I get feed, that sort of feedback, it's kind of fun. Um, but I'm not, I'm not overly, at this point, I, I I'm not overly nervous or, or carry one way together. the other. You know, it's more about people who, who I know who like our music and are interested in it, how they react to it, you know, and, 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 and the sort of feedback I get, it's kind of, it's especially, especially how, especially in terms of the production and you know how they're interpreting songs.
0: You guys shoot videos for it.
1: We don't shoot videos. We create them. So um, my, my brother, Pete does a lot of stuff just by finding stuff on the internet and putting stuff together. It's, it's always good to have an, a, a, an image, but we don't, we don't
0: shoot anything. Right. It's inexpensive. And you're putting it out on your own label?
1: Yeah. So we do. And what we've been doing over the last uh, many years now, over twenty years, is we we put it out on our own label, label which is Latent Recordings, and then we we partner with various companies around the world to distribute or to license it. With this one, we're giving it to um, we're licensing it through Cooking Vinyl, which is a label out of England. We've worked right. with Yeah. We work with them in the past. So we're doing it we're doing it through with them. So yeah.
0: Now and are you you writing more songs in the meantime, or are you sort of a project oriented writer where it's like, okay, now that we've done this, we've gone through this cycle of releasing the album, touring. Now I'm going to go back to the cabin with my poetry books, and now it's time to reload for the next one.
1: Yeah, I'm more project oriented these days. So, I, I, uh, yeah, I almost get a feeling, you know, I sort of get a sense, almost a physical sense, where it's like, okay, I want to start writing again. And, and I don't, I don't like, again, earlier, earlier in our career, you know, there was a, there was a, a cycle and was, there was a machine to feed. And, and I, and I was, I was, I wanted to feed it. You know, I was excited about writing new songs. Now it really has to, I, I have to wait for that. I have to wait for a reason to write again. You know, right? So, um, I think certainly the, uh, you know, the, the, the death of our parents and the, and the pandemic were good <laughs> and then everything was happening sociologically in the. In, in our, on our continent, uh, that was, those were good reasons to write. So, um, it, it takes a, it, it takes a little bit more for me to, to, to want to sit down and write, you know, I've written a lot of songs, so I have to, I have to give myself a reason <laughs> to, do, to continue to do it.
0: Do you listen to any new
1: music? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I try to, uh, I, you know, like a lot of people, I, you know, when I'm working, I have it on my, I you know I'll, I'll go on Spotify and click on the, new artists and i'll I'll write down names of artists that i hear and so but i'm not i'm not as passionate about finding them as i used to be that's for
0: sure i feel like when you started and now are both sort of periods where the approach you're taking is 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 like your own thing i mean always was your own thing but that that there was this kind of you know electronic kind of thing happening in the 80s when you started and there's this very computer electronic thing happening now so in a way there's sort of a full circle thing and in music, um, while you still have these shimmering, you know, textures of acoustic and electric instruments playing through actual amplifiers and everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, we 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 always done our thing, so we we we. I think we're still, and everything else, everything else cycles. So we every now and then we we hook up with the cycle, or we're we're or 180 degrees against it. So. We we don't really keep track of that, you know. But you know, when I think you know, there's a lot of really good singer songwriters out there these days. So people, you know, writing songs and just playing them pretty straightforward as well. So I, I think these days there's sort of because because the, the industry is so fractured that there's not you can't say that there's a specific sound these days that you that you can kick right. against. But like in the late 80s, there was a definite specific sound that was happening and you heard it all the time, right? It was like the, the, the big haired rock bands and very, very, very clean, very um, compressed and kind of ugly, just not very exciting music for, for, our, for our years. So what we did was very, you know, 180 degrees against that. Nowadays, I think there's so much happening out there. It's, I think it's very hard to release something where somebody goes, well, that's totally against what's happening now. You know, it might be against what's happening on the charts, but there's so much more to, to, to music now than the charts, which is a good thing.
0: Right. And there are like fifty million charts too, so it's hard Definitely. to know what's what. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. You know, especially right after, you know, you just got back from tour and you're kinda getting settled into your real life again. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks. That's all for episode 86 of Carol Pop. Thanks so much to Michael Timmons for taking us inside the Cowboy Junkies circle and providing so much insight into this timeless band's music. The new Cowboy Junkies album, Such Ferocious Beauty, is out June 2nd in all formats on the Cooking Vinyl label. Go to CowboyJunkies.com for more information and or buy it where you buy your favorite music. The band returns to the road next month starting at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon on July 13th and also hitting Seattle, Washington, Berkeley, California, Phoenix, Arizona and a few other cities. A stretch of Canadian dates begins in late September. Go to CowboyJunkies.com slash tour. Carol Pop is produced by Chris Wake, who keeps this podcast from becoming a common disaster. I'm Mark Carroll. Please follow Carol Pop on Twitter at Carol Popcast. And you can follow me as well at Mark Carroll at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O. Also visit the Carol Pop website, carolpop.com, where you can find this podcast and enter your email address. So you'll hear about upcoming events and episodes. Tickets are on sale now for my July 31st on-stage Carol Pop conversation with actor, singer, director Michael Shannon at the club space in Evanston, Illinois. Go to evensonspace.com for more information and to buy tickets. Please share this episode, subscribe, tell your friends, and tune in again next week for another Carol Pop Conversation. Thanks.